Thank you, thank you. Now, Father in heaven, I thank you and praise you for this time of sharing. And as I stand now before your people, I recognize my inabilities to do anything without you. But I can do all things through you who gives me strength. So I pray now that you anoint me afresh and let me minister with clarity and power the word that I speak and let it touch the hearts of every hearer, Father God. Satan, I now serve notice on you that your powers are broken and your contracts are canceled. And I command you in the name of Jesus to cease and desist in your tactics and your maneuvers. You are not welcome here. And now, God, because we are gathered here in your name, let no one leave like they came, but let all be increased by this, your great gospel. Now, before you take your seats, grab someone by the hand and tell, tell grab someone by the hand and tell them, neighbor, God is up to something, and we right in the middle of it. Woo! If you believe that, give God a hand clap. God is up to something, and we're right in the middle of it. A little bird told me today, this morning, that uh, Mr. Anthony Davis is on his way here to the Lakers. And the, I, I, most times we get a big shout when we in the stadiums, as Bishop says, but I think that we, the, the greater shout should be here. So I said, let us give God a hand clap and a shout to the Lord. Can we do that? That's right, hallelujah. That's right. We should give God our glory, not man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Good morning, West Angeles family here and online. Can I thank the greatest band in the world? You all, thank you. And is David Daughtry, is this extensions? Woo, y'all are bad. Y'all sound like the full choir. Thank you. Dr. Judy, wherever you are, thank you so much for setting me up. First and foremost, I'd like to give honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for this opportunity to stand before you this morning, acknowledging every day that if it wasn't for the Lord on my side, where would I be? That weeping may endure for a night, but that those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their that all things work together for good to them that are called, that I can do. About to shout up in this. I'd like to thank, I got a mission, I'm gonna get to it. I'd like to thank our presiding bishop and the fragrance of this house, Lady May, for allowing me to once again stand before you on Father's Day. Thank you. And occupy this hallowed space and perform this sacred duty. I can never express what May, Lady May and Presiding Bishop, your ministry has meant to our family. I can never express what you have done for us. Thank you both for modeling a godly marriage before the world. And I'd like to thank our family's village. You all know who you are, and we thank you. I'd like to thank our children, Bronwyn and Slater, who are 13 now. Charles, how did that happen? 
They are both at lacrosse, at a lacrosse tournament in Temecula, California. Braun and Slater know you are loved and adored. And finally, I'd like to thank my not-so-secret weapon, my wife, Angela Evelyn Bassett, who is in Germany working. I love you, baby. To all the family of God under the sound of my voice, bless you. You're already standing, so please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 26, and we'll be reading verses 36 to 39 and 44 to 46. Say amen when you're ready. Say amen when you're ready. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and his two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Luke captures the moment this way. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood dropping to the ground. He went a little further, fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus came back and found them sleeping. You know the rest of the verses. Go to 44. So he left and went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. With your patience and prayers, I would like to speak to you from the topic, don't throw away your shot. Rise up. Will you say these words after me? Don't throw away your shot. Rise up. Will you say them once again, please? Don't throw Thank you, and you may be seated. Alexander Hamilton, Pulitzer Prize-winning author Ron Chernow's New York Times runaway bestseller and the inspiration for Lin-Manuel Miranda's Broadway hit musical Hamilton. Mr. Chernow pre presents a landmark biography of the founding father who galvanized, inspired, scandalized, and helped shape our newborn nation. Few figures in American history have been more hotly debated or more grossly misunderstood than Alexander Hamilton. He was the perfect embodiment of what our country was all about. Here was a man who was an outcast in the time in which he lived. He was somebody who was not supposed to rise up. His story should have ended where it began, on the Caribbean island of Nevis. His mother and father were not married at the time of his conception. That was a horrible mark, a blight on a young person's life at that time. His mother was also of mixed heritage. She was black. And that was the veritable nail in the coffin in terms of the young man's advancement. He would therefore not be able to climb in the social circles in which he lived. And so in order for him to achieve his dreams and not throw away his shot, he had to find another way to make a name for himself. And upon this moment, how young Hamilton handled this life circumstance hung not only his future, but the future of our young nascent country as well. And at this 
yet another most critical juncture in our country's history as the tumble toward the 2020 election causes us to re-examine and question our most cherished and basic beliefs. Lin-Manuel's Miranda's Hamilton challenges us with his anthem, I'm not throwing away my shot to rise up. I'm not throwing away my shot. I am not throwing away my shot. Hey, yo, I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. We're going to rise up. Time to take a shot. We're going to rise up. Time to take a shot. We're going to rise up. Rise up. We're going to rise up. Rise up. Our founding father, Alexander Hamilton, reminds us of the purpose of our institutions by the prodigious superhuman effort it took to move a people from pilgrims to, revolution, from pilgrims to revolutionaries to trying to do something no other people have done before or since, creating a government of the people, by the people, and for all the people. I've been told that our God is a God who never sleeps nor slumbers. He's the God who spoke the world into existence. He's a God who flung the stars against the blackness of the night. Our God needs us to keep on pushing despite what the circumstances look like. He doesn't care if there's a storm on the sea and the waves are threatening to overtake the ship. The storms in our lives are his way of measuring our level of faith because he is the storm. He is the peace. If he tells us that he will see us on the other side, then our job is to focus not on the storm, but on what he told us to do. If he tells us, as he told Abram, to get out of your country from your family and from your father's house and go to a land that I will show you, Genesis 12 and 1, then our job is to say, as Isaiah did, here I am, Lord, send me. Isaiah 6 and 8. And that is what Alexander Hamilton did. His was a, a Joseph situation. No matter what the circumstances looked like, he kept pushing. So with the time I have left on this Father's Day, I would like to examine through the prism of people in our everyday lives and select biblical characters how we all reach that critical juncture in our journeys where our futures spin on the decisions we make. And how we must use godly discernment so that we don't throw away our shot, rise up. Our everyday life characters. Leslie Anita Vance. Miss Leslie was a mother's mother to my sister Cecily and me, instilling in us the love of learning and work at a very early age, teaching us at home until first grade at a time when there was no preschool, pre-K, or kindergarten for black folk taking us to museums every Saturday afternoon and always being there for the various transitions in our lives. She had a tremendous number of friend groups due to the great amount of volunteer work she did. When she retired in 1995 after working 30 years for the Detroit Public Libraries, she was diagnosed, uh, until she was diagnosed in, with ALS in 2013, she was busier and more active than at any point in her life. She drove 20 miles four days a week to her gym for workouts. She volunteered at Detroit Institute of Arts, Habitat for Humanities, Soup Kitchen, it was a homeless shelter, the literacy program at the main library, and she was part of a very active book club, among her other activities. During the late 60s, when Stokely Carmichael called for black power in Detroit, Irvin, Miss Leslie's group of friends was a veritable diaspora of hues and colors. Her posse, as she called them, were fiercely protective of her. She had a very rich and varied life in Detroit. Hallelujah. 
She took good care of her money and on a librarian's salary with the lower cost of living in Detroit, she lived well. With the house paid for, her children grown it up, and with two pensions, she purchased a timeshare, traded weeks with folks, and traveled all over the world. It was just another example of how Miss Leslie showing us her quiet strength. She was constantly, gently, ever so slowly showing us how to live life fully. She showed us, she showed us that one didn't need a lot of money or fame or attention to make an impact on the world. She took care of people. She was a wonderful friend, as wonderful a friend as she was a mother. Miss Leslie Anita Vance was a helper. And she instilled that quality in her children and all those who came in contact with her. And when, she, and when she realized she had been stricken with that dreaded disease, ALS, and was about to face the biggest challenge in her 79 years, she didn't give up on life. She didn't go into a deep depression and stop living. She continued. She continued. She continued. She continued. She continued. And she faced that mountain just like she faced all the other challenges in her life. She looked at the situation, rolled up her sleeves, and she got to work. She taught us to pray through life's transitions. She continued to smile and listen to her grandchildren that they were, as they recounted their daily joys and pains. She continued to go through all the stages of the disease, the communication, feeding, cleaning, bathing, traveling, dressing challenges that this nasty disease presented. And she never complained. Somehow she managed to put her pain, frustrations, and fears aside and carry on. She allowed us all to continue building rhythms and routines around her and find the new normal. Her form of ALS kept her in almost constant severe pain. Miss Leslie, for her final chapter, endured a Job-like trial and continued teaching. She went through the worst life had to offer. She smiled and gave us her final words, P period, R period, A period, Y period. She was indeed the greatest and most impactful person I have ever met. Don't throw away your shot. Rise up. Courtney B. Vance, November 7th, 1991. I was living in Prospect Park, Brooklyn with my dog Bottom and my college sweetheart. We had been struggling for a few years about next steps and I knew I was about to allow another young lady to run me away from our relationship. I had been feeling a cloud shrouding our world and didn't have the maturity to lead us into marriage. Simultaneously, I was, on, I was on the top of the theater world in New York City, starring in the masterwork Six Degrees of Separation, for which I had garnered my second Tony nomination. It was indeed the best of times and the worst of times. I had made a decision earlier that day that when I left the apartment for the show that evening, I would leave the relationship. I was in complete and utter turmoil. As I was walking out of the apartment and into the waiting town car that I had recently negotiated into my contract my, with my soon-to-be ex-girlfriend standing in the, widow, in the window weeping profusely, I heard on the radio that Irvin Magic Johnson had retired from the NBA after contracting the AIDS virus. I broke and cried like a baby all the way to the theater. I could take no more. I don't know how I did the show that night, but on that night in November, both myself and my brother from another mother lives spun. On that night, I would begin the second phase of my life, determined that I was not throwing away my shot rise up. 
Tiger Woods. An entire generation of our society, our world, has grown up knowing that the most famous person in a game that has forever been associated with white privilege was a black man. Well, as Tiger initially stated, a Camerasian man. For whites, it was initially a source of ire, but this cafe au lait man with the gorgeous teeth could not be beaten. In fact, during tournaments when he was off the lead by a seeming, seemingly insurmountable number of strokes, he became even more famous for the Tiger Charge, where all the golfers ahead of him would wilt when they heard the galley beginning the cheers as Tiger began his patented move. By the same token, pardon the pun, Tiger was, for African Americans, a source of the deepest pride, equaled only by President Obama, Nelson Mandela, and Muhammad Ali. He was, in one person, a lightning rod of love. He represented all that was good and wonderful in the human condition. But on December 30th, 2009, we awoke to read the initial improbable story of his wife chasing him with a nine iron and destroying his SUV because of a series of texts to an alleged nightclub hostess in Orlando, Florida. We eventually found out that there were also a, a, a series of extramarital affairs that shook Tiger and his legion of fans to our collective core. Gone was that deadly Tiger charge that instilled fear in so many. Gone was that gorgeous swing. Gone was the adoration of fans of all persuasion. Tiger's occupation, gone! And what seemed like overnight, Tiger was a has-been. The injuries began piling up. The retooled swing would not come together. The missed cuts, the double bogeys, and the string of losses mounted. We had all written Tiger off and began to refocus on his body of work. But like Samson after his eyes were put out and he was just a source of enjoyment to the well-heeled Philistines, the hair on his head began to grow after it had been shaven, Judges 16 and 22. And on April 14th, 2019, Tiger Woods completed the most stupendous and remarkable comebacks in the history of sports when he won the most prestigious golf tournament there is, the Masters at Augusta National Golf Club. Tiger Woods showed us that we are the same person when folks are cheering as when they are jeering. And that the only thing that can sustain us in our wilderness experiences is God's love. Tiger showed us that a true champion never gives up, never gives in, and always finds a way to get back up again. A true champion never throws away his shot. What's going on? The world seems to be spinning out of control. Every day it seems we're all, we all say, what's next? Nothing seems to surprise us anymore. We all sat enthralled as one after another our captains of industries were brought low by the Me Too movement after centuries-long sexual aggressive misbehavior. Women of all shades and hues have, been, have had to quietly deal with men behaving badly, saying, that's just boys being boys. But in our lifetimes, the tides have, have turned and it has contributed to our sense of the world seeming to be upside down. The recent college cheating scandal was one more of, in a long line of societal lows. We watched with unbelief as, our, as, as another of our institutions was thrown on the ash heap of our times. Tennessee Williams 
Blanche Dubois said in his masterwork, A Streetcar Named Desire, I always have depended on the kindness of strangers. Well, she would have been at a loss today. Are there no lows to which we will, 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 will stoop? Do the ends always have to justify the means? Is there no line where we'll not cross? I've always said that after 9-11, the honor system is dead. Our money and technology have allowed us to blur morality lines at will. Does, does our pursuit of the best for our children cause us to do anything for them? I think the scandal reflects the larger issue of, our, of celebrity and privilege in our, in, at work in our society. We have seen it played out over and over again where money and celebrity buys a pass out of any difficult situation. The question is, what are we going to do about it? And finally, in the midst of all the madness of our times, we needed an assassination to make the chaos complete. As I watched in horror the report of Mr. Nipsey Hussle's death, I asked myself, how do we recover from this one? Another black-on-black -black murder to be witnessed by the world. President Obama, during the lame duck period of his second term, said after another young black man was shot in self-defense by yet another white police officer, oh, we, we can do better. We, we, we must do better. And as I watched Nipsey's massive homegoing service, we did do better. I saw thousands of people calmly and peacefully marching in an orderly fashion, celebrating the life of this industrious young man who unfortunately in death became much larger than he was in life. I saw the Nation of Islam and the LAPD working closely together to provide a safe environment for mourners. Why do we always have to wait until there's an emergency before we realize that we are stronger together than we are apart? Why is that? Have we thrown away our shot? It seems as if all of human history is ultimately about what we do in these pivotal moments in our lives. And it doesn't matter if people are rich or poor, black or white, gay or straight, young or old, male or female, and you all struggle with doing the right thing at key moments. I truly believe we struggle during these times because we are all trying to figure out are we going to follow God or not? Are we going to seek his will and his way or follow our own way? There is a way that seems right to a man. And it doesn't matter if we've seen others fall by the wayside. We are always smarter, faster, cooler, calmer, prettier, cuter, stronger, sexier, more aggressive, smoother, or just plain better than all those who have tried and failed before. Hello, somebody. I would now like to examine how several biblical characters handled their key life moments. I think Moses in the book of Deuteronomy said it best. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Take home test. Choose life. Told us what to do. That both you and your descendants may live. Deuteronomy 30. Every now and then, biblical character, Ruth. Every now and then, a decision comes along that changes the course of history. General Ulysses S. Grant at Appomattox, where after the most vicious war in history, in the history of the world up to that time, decided to be generous and not destroy the South and the Southern way of life, but allow General Robert E. Lee, reportedly one of the country's greatest generals, and his troops their dignity 
to go back home and reclaim their lives. General Lee said that in the history of civilized warfare, there has never been a more humane gesture than that of General Grant's at Appomattox. Unfortunately, the gesture was not reciprocated, and within 12 years, the South rose again and put their collective feet on the necks of black folks for the next 80 years. Should have put them down. Should have put them down. Turn to your neighbor and say, should have put them down. Should have put them down. However, it took a woman's gesture of kindness to attract the attention of God and graft her a Moabitess into the lineage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Entreat me not to leave you or turn back from following after you. Forever, wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Ruth 1, 16 and 17. Ruth's gesture could be viewed in the same vein as Jesus revealing to the Samaritan woman that he was the son of God. The people of Moab and Samaria were not supposed to associate with Jews. The lines of demarcation were so sharply drawn that Jesus had to send his disciples away into town before he spoke to the young woman because he knew that his disciples would rebuke him for speaking with her. Ruth's gesture of kindness reminds us that Love indeed covers a multitude of sins. And that if we allow God's grace to enter into our hearts and minds, he will hear from heaven and heal our land. Ruth definitely didn't throw away her shot. Rise up. Zacchaeus. Now here was somebody like Ruth who was not supposed to be there. Tax collectors were the, among the most hated people in society at that time. Instead of just taking in the, the amount of taxes owed by the people, they, they took more than was required and pocketed the, the difference. And there was nothing that people could do about it. Among tax collectors, this man of small stature was the chief tax collector. And on top of everything else, he was rich. But something happens when Jesus gets into our souls. Can I get a witness? Jesus can soften even the hardest of hearts. And it is always those who have gotten, who have the greatest desire to be forgiven the most. And there, let me say that again. It is always those who have the greatest desire to be forgiven that are forgiven the most. The woman with the issue of blood. The Samaritan woman. The woman caught in the act of adultery. And Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus knew in his heart that he was wrong for what he was doing to the Jews. And when, he, and when Jesus appeared, he was going to do whatever it took to see him. And because he was small, that meant climbing the nearest tree. And that is where Jesus saw his heart and his desire. He was small in stature, but his need was gigantic. And here at the defining moment of his life, Zacchaeus was ready. He knew that this was his moment to make an abrupt change. And it is, it is at this moment, at these moments, that we don't care what people think about us. We don't care what they think about. When we need Jesus, you go get Jesus. It's at these moments. I don't care what I look like. I don't care what I got on. I just need, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I could just get to him, I know I'd be, my child will be healed. 
when Jesus comes into our hearts, our only desire is to please our Heavenly Father. Zacchaeus faced this moment and chose life. Zacchaeus screamed, I am not throwing away my shot. Jesus. It's hard to imagine what it's like knowing that at some distant point one has to suffer and die the most horrific deaths, have the sin of the entire world upon one's shoulders, not say a single word in your defense, and do it for people that don't even know who you are. Only God could live a perfected life and not cave under the stress that that knowledge brings. But if we study the Bible, we can see that the pattern of Jesus always seeking the Father's strength for what was to come. We see him as he begins his earthly ministry when he comes out of the baptismal waters with John, is dove blessed with God's booming voice and is sent immediately into the wilderness, wilderness for his trial with Satan, Matthew 4, 4 through 10. The next time we see Jesus dealing with his cross journey is in the garden of Gethsemane. After sitting with what has been coming for millenniums, he is so overwhelmed by the thought of what he must endure that he, he sweats blood, even pulls a Moses and asks God twice to let someone else do this thing. But here Jesus gives us one of the keys to preparing for our shot. He prays intensely and an angel appeared to him from heaven strengthening him. Luke 22 and 43. Our Father lets us know if you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Proverbs 2, 2 through 5. And now, after going through his pressing, he is ready for the final stage of his journey, the cross. God lets us know that before we are ready for our cross, we must go through our Gethsemane and our wilderness periods where we are pressed and strengthened for what is to come. Jesus goes through the most awful, horrific gauntlet of pain and torture known to man and women, culminating in nine hours hanging on a tree, juggling, holding his weight between the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet so that he can breathe. He knew that while he was in human form, he was going to have to fully suffer humanity's worst so that we could say, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things he suffered. Hebrews 5 and 8, and when we see our Jesus hanging on that whole rugged cross, suffering, bleeding, and dying for us, when we hear our Jesus saying those last words, it is finished. God has shown us that our shot costs us something. Joseph lost 17 years of his life for his shot. Moses, after 40 years of service, lost his shot because of disobedience. Ruth left her family and country for her shot. The rich young ruler's money was too high a price for his chance at his shot. Zacchaeus gave up half his goods to the poor and a fourfold donation to the church for anyone who had ever he had ever stolen from. And as a chief tax collector, that was everybody. Then the lame man at the pool of Bethesda lost 38 years before deciding he was ready for his shot. And after looking at these men and women from our everyday lives and at our biblical characters culminating in Jesus sweating blood to prepare for his shot, we acknowledge that we need to prepare ourselves to rise up as well. 
It's time for us to rise up. Depression leading to suicide is taking both young and old. It's time to rise up. We need to clean up and gentrify our neighborhoods and communities before others come in and tell us what we have is valuable. It's time to rise up. Fathers, we, uh, our boys need us, not the gangs, to stand up for them in their futures. It's time to rise up. I'm talking about stop using derogatory names and phrases about ourselves and our women so the rest of the world will stop because the N-word is not nor ever will be a term of endearment. It's time to rise up. We lost John Singleton. It's time to rise up. Our beloved presiding bishop, Charles Edward Blake, is 78 years old. It's time to rise up. President Barack Obama is not in the office anymore. It's time to rise up. We need to vote at each election so that our voices heard because if you don't vote, you can't complain. It's time to rise up. It's time to take responsibility for our fast-paced, for our shortcomings in this fast-paced, high-tech world. Sit down with our families at dinner time, grab hands and pray because we need to have God. We don't need to have God in the schools so long as we have God in our homes. It's time to rise. Oh, eventually, everyone must sit on the edge of their own bed at 2 o'clock in the morning and decide for themselves what is the right thing to do. Thing to do. Individuals, families, cities, corporations, state, countries, we all come to that point where we have to stand up and declare who we are and what we are about. Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton anthem speaks about a fledgling group of English pilgrims who felt strongly enough about their unfair treatment with their righteous cause and their righteous cause that they were willing to die for those beliefs. And then they set about the real work of drafting a document, the Constitution, which reflected those beliefs. Emma Lazarus' Statue of Liberty sonnet, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be bring fr breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Speaks, that sonnet speaks about the same country 100 years later, opening up her arms to other groups of people suffering under the lash of tyranny and oppression. Poet James Weldon Johnson wrote the words and his composer brother J. Rosamund Johnson set to music, lift every voice and sing. To celebrate Lincoln's birthday about 15 years after Emma Lazarus wrote her moving sonnet. The third verse of that song is anything but celebratory as Negroes struggled to come to grips with a nation that lovingly embraced every other people's cause save the Negroes. A nation that found every way possible to, from the bright light of emancipation and reconstruction through and into the, the, one of the darkest 80-year periods in our nation's history where we were lynched, burned, raped, tortured, to ensure that this nation's fundamental principles did not apply to Negroes. Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream and wrote a speech about this systemic American dysfunction. And on this August 28, 2019, will be 56 years since 250,000 people marched on Washington to hear him deliver that most famous speech at the Lincoln Memorial. How long do we have to wait till this searing, soaring rhetoric comes to fruition where all God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. How long? 
will it take before we rise up? Well, I've come to you today, all of you, mothers, daughters, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, and especially fathers, to say to you that however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long because truth crushed to earth will arise again. How long? Because no lie shall live forever. How long? Because you shall reap what you sow. How long? Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne, yet on that scaffold flays, sways the future and that behind the dim unknown stands God within the shadows keeping watch above his own. How long? Because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. How long? Because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He's loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men and women before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. Glory. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. His truth is marching on today as individuals, families, corporations, cities, states, and countries, and as a world, let us rise up and not throw away our shot. Don't miss your shot. Rise up. Jesus came to that critical moment in his life. He said, Father, I don't want to do this. But if you want me to do it, I will. I won't miss my shot. This is the moment for which I was born. And he went to the cross. He died for our sins on the third day morning. He rose up from the dead with all the power in the palm of his hand. If Jesus could overcome death, if he could die and come back to life again in power and in victory, if he could do that, he can do anything. Just think of what he can do with your life, a window of opportunity is open before us today. Who knows whether we will have another opportunity to go through that window to make that great accomplishment, but it's open now. Someone who hears my voice, you may have rejected the call in the past. You may not have accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, but you hear his voice. Brother Courtney Vance talked about folk who took advantage of their moment, their opportunity, transformed their lives, 
and transform the world. This is your chance. To the Lord said, today, you will hear my voice. Hearken not unto me. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Come to me, and I'll give you life abundant. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, if you're not joined with him in that life of resurrection that he brings to the earth, if you've not accepted him as Savior and as Lord, I want to pray with you. I want to give you that opportunity to be saved, to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. If you would say, Preacher, I don't want to miss my shot. I want to join hands with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I want to make my contribution to life and to the world. I want to be saved. I want my sins forgiven. I'll pray for you. If you will say, Preacher, pray for me. And you'll do so by the lifting of your hand. You would say, Preacher, I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus. I want to be forgiven. Lift that hand, hold it high. This very moment, everybody's standing in the house of God. Everybody's standing. Please stand. Pray for me, Preacher. I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus. I want my sins forgiven. Dear Lord, I pray for every soul, every individual in this place who has lifted their hands and said, pray for me. I pray even for those who are still struggling. They did not lift their hands, but their hearts are crying out for salvation, for another chance, another opportunity. Come into their lives. Set them free. Let them make the contribution to life and the world that you would have them to make. Let them make a difference. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me for the wrong I've done and the wrong I have been. I want to be saved. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for me. I believe he arose from the dead. I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, and I thank you, Lord. I am saved. I am forgiven. I am delivered. Come on, clap your hands and give praise.